AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 88 of AFF On Air. It's the 9th of July 2022. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Aaron Wong, the founder of the Singapore-based frequent flyer blog, Mile Lion, for a chat about the recent changes to the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program that came into effect this week. We'll also talk about waitlisting for Chris Flyer award seats, what to do if you have Chris Flyer miles due to expire next year, and the new Singapore Airlines lounges that recently opened at Changi Airport. So if you have Chris Flyer miles or you're interested in the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program, you definitely won't want to miss this interview. That's coming up shortly, but first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, the Australian government has scrapped the bug-ridden digital passenger declaration, as well as the maritime travel declaration forms that were introduced as a mandatory requirement for international passengers travelling back to Australia last February. The digital passenger declaration was intended to eventually replace the paper incoming passenger card, and eventually the government still plans to do this. But first, it says that it will improve the DPD to make it a lot more user-friendly. There have been a lot of complaints that the DPD simply didn't work or that people weren't able to use the app. Since the 6th of July, visitors travelling to Australia are also no longer required to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Qantas still requires this, however, of passengers on its international flights, but this is now just a Qantas requirement, not an Australian government requirement. As more and more countries relax travel restrictions and COVID becomes a normal part of life, the Australian government is also updating the travel advice on its Smart Traveller website. For the first time since March 2020, the advice for some countries is now back to exercise normal safety precautions, which is the lowest warning level and basically means that the destination is very safe. Fiji was the first country to be downgraded back down to this level in late May, and travelling to other countries including Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Japan, French Polynesia, South Korea, Croatia and Palau is also now considered very safe by the Australian government, and this week New Zealand was also downgraded back to level 1. Virgin Australia's Velocity Frequent Flyer Program has announced a range of changes to redemptions on Singapore Airlines, and there's both good and bad news here. The good news is that Singapore Airlines' premium economy reward seats are now available once again to book using Velocity points. Velocity has also announced that the ability to transfer points to Singapore Airlines' Chris Flyer loyalty program, which I'm going to talk about later with Aaron, will resume on the 19th of July this year, although further details such as the conversion rate are not yet known. Unfortunately, though, Velocity Frequent Flyer is introducing carrier charges that need to be paid when redeeming Velocity points for Singapore Airlines reward seats, and this will come into effect from the 5th of October this year. The amount uh, will be charged per segment and per passenger in US dollars, uh, or will be converted anyway from US dollars to the local currency, uh, and it will the amount will depend on the route and class of travel. So, for example, for economy reward seats under 4,200 miles, so flights under 4,200 miles, the carrier charge will be 30 US dollars. On flights over uh, 4,200 miles in economy, it'll be $50 US. 
In premium economy, shorter flights will be $60 US dollars and longer flights over 4,200 miles will be $100 US dollars. And for business or first class reward seats on Singapore Airlines booked using Velocity Points, the additional carrier charge will be $90 US dollars on shorter flights or up to $150 US dollars on long haul flights. And this is of course charged in addition to the Velocity Points and the taxes you're already paying. From the 5th of October, Velocity is also slightly changing the number of points needed to book some partner airline rewards, and this will affect travel on Singapore Airlines, Etihad Airways, Air Canada, Hawaiian Airlines, and South African Airways. Some business class rates will increase slightly, but others in economy will actually be slightly reduced, and there's no changes to premium economy or first class pricing. Woolworths' Everyday Rewards Loyalty Program has introduced a new paid subscription service called Everyday Extra. Costing $7 per month or $59 per year for a subscription, Everyday Extra members can get discounts of up to $50 per month, triple points, and extra perks when shopping at Woolworths and Big W. There's also a free 30-day trial available to new subscribers. Qantas has resumed its seamless transfer service at Sydney Airport for passengers connecting between the international and domestic terminals. Qantas has reopened its security checkpoint as part of this at the domestic transfer area in Terminal 1, and this means that passengers connecting from an international Qantas, One World or Emirates flight to a Qantas domestic flight departing from Terminal 3 can now drop their luggage and clear security at Terminal 1, and they can then board the complimentary Qantas transfer bus, which is now using the internal airport roads again rather than driving along the regular roads um, between the terminals, and dropping passengers airside now near Gate 15 in Terminal 3, which is the same as how it worked in pre-COVID times. Qantas has also now reopened most of its airport lounges. Over recent weeks, the Qantas International Lounges in Auckland, Wellington, Perth, and the First Class Lounge in Singapore have all reopened. And domestically, just the Qantas Club Lounges in Rockhampton and Port Hedland remain closed. Qantas's first lounge in Los Angeles and its Honolulu Lounge remain temporarily closed, and the Qantas lounges in Hong Kong and Tokyo Narita Airport have permanently closed. But of the international airports where Qantas currently flies, lounge access is now available to business class passengers as well as Qantas club members and eligible frequent flyers at all destinations except in Timor-Leste at Dili Airport, and that's due to there being no lounges available at all in Dili. In the case of Honolulu... Eligible Qantas and Jetstar passengers who would normally have access to the Qantas Lounge are currently being sent to the Delta Sky Club. Speaking of Qantas Lounges, Qantas is considering making a change to the complimentary Qantas Club membership given to Points Club Plus members who've earned 350,000 points in their membership year. Currently, uh, Points Club Plus members receive, among other benefits, free Qantas Club membership. But this membership is not transferable, which makes it kind of worthless for members who already hold Gold, Platinum or Platinum 1 status with Qantas. Qantas is now considering allowing this membership to be gifted if the member already has Qantas Club access through other means, or also allowing Points Club Plus members to retain their Qantas Club membership and then extend the date of their current membership. Qatar Airways will add a second daily service between Doha and Melbourne from the 1st of October, with this service continuing from Melbourne to Canberra. The daily Canberra-Melbourne-Doha flights will be operated by Qatar Airways' Boeing 777-300ER with Q-suites in business class. And if you would like to use Qantas points to book a seat, there's also currently a fair bit of business class award availability with up to two seats per flight. Many international airlines have slashed the commissions they pay to Australian travel agents by as much as 80%. 
Since the 1st of July this year, Qantas and British Airways have reduced the base commission paid from 5% to just 1% on international bookings. Air New Zealand also reduced its base commission on long-haul flights from 5% to 1% on the 1st of July, while removing commission on short-haul flight sales entirely, including trans-Tasman flights. Meanwhile, Malaysia Airlines has halved the commission it pays to Australian travel agents from 4% to 2%. From the 1st of October this year, Singapore Airlines, All Nippon Airways and Japan Airlines will also reduce the base commission they pay to travel agents for Australian bookings just down to 1%. Australian travel agents already generally earn no commission on domestic bookings or for bookings where the first flight originates outside of Australia and Qantas already does not pay any commission on trans-Tasman bookings. Many travel agents are obviously unhappy about these changes because airline commissions have traditionally been one of their main sources of revenue. Many have not traditionally charged extra fees to their clients for their expertise and time because they've made money on the airfare commission instead. But the commission earned on many airfares will no longer be enough for agents to pay the bills. And ultimately, the slash commissions have forced travel agencies to rethink their business models and focus on other ways of generating revenue other than base commissions from airlines. For example, travel agents may now have to start pushing more package tours, airport transfers, hotel bookings, cruise bookings, and travel uh, travel insurance sales, which attract much higher commissions than airfares. Some travel agents have also been forced to introduce or raise their service fees for flight bookings. Velocity Frequent Flyer has announced that it will not expire any points sitting in in inactive accounts until July 2023, giving members a bit of extra leeway and time to use their points due to COVID. And Air New Zealand has revealed the new business class and premium economy seats that it will install on its long-haul fleet of Boeing 787 aircraft from 2024. The new cabins are set to offer a markedly better experience for passengers, particularly in business class. The airline is also proceeding with plans to install bunk beds for use by economy passengers on ultra-long-haul flights. For an additional fee, economy passengers on Air New Zealand will be able to book the use of one of six economy Skynest bunk beds in the economy cabin for up to four hours at a time. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Earlier this week, Singapore Airlines increased the cost of most Chris Flyer award bookings and upgrades. And from next month, Chris Fly is also changing the stopover rules, and unfortunately not for the better. So what do these changes mean for Australian members of the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program? To discuss this and lots more about Singapore Airlines and Chris Flyer, I'm joined by Aaron Wong, the founder of the Singapore-based frequent flyer blog, Mile Lion. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. So first of all, you're um, a Chris Fly expert, of course, with your background, and uh, I know that. But for any listeners who might not be familiar, do you want to tell me a little bit about Mile Lion? Sure. I'm probably a Chris Slayer at Spock because I'm based in Singapore, where it's pretty much the only game in town. So, uh, yeah, um, the the Mall Line is a Singapore-based frequent flyer site, um, which teaches people how to travel better for less. So teach people how to use credit cards to earn those valuable Chris Slayer miles, or should I say 10 to 15% less valuable going forward. (laughs) Uh, Tell them how to... um, make best use of their miles for, for, for redemptions and uh, how to save when they travel overseas on hotels, car rentals, all that good stuff. Excellent. So it's kind of like a Singaporean version of AFF in a way. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Miles and Point community in, in Singapore, I would say, is um, it's probably not as, as developed as some other places, like, say, the US, for instance. But there is a, a strong, very passionate core of people who are really determined to finding the ins and outs of every, every last program there is out there. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. Absolutely. In Australia, a lot of people earn credit card points through on Chris Flyer Miles or other frequent flyer points through credit card sign-up offers. Is that a similar sort of thing in Singapore, or uh, how do how do most people in Singapore earn their frequent flyer points? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that our sign-up bonuses in Singapore are anything uh, crazy. So once in a while, we we do have the big like. 80,000, 100,000 kind of offer, but that's really the exception rather than the norm. I'd say the average sign-up bonus in Singapore is probably a lot more modest towards the 10 to ten to 30,000 mile mark. Uh, but what we do have in, in Singapore are pretty generous bonus rates. So um, you could probably earn up to four miles per dollar on the vast majority of your spending, whether it's dining, online shopping, uh, even anywhere where you can use mobile payments, the banks are still pretty generous in that respect. So it's not much giving you miles up front. It's relying on your everyday spend uh, to, to really earn the bulk of your miles. So, you know, someone who uses their their the right card at the right time with, say, $30,000 of spending over the course of a year could get up to 120,000 miles which would be more than enough for like a round trip uh, business class ticket to, to Tokyo with quite a bit left over after that as well. Yeah, so it's kind of the opposite of how it is in Australia with the credit card sign-up bonuses really being the king, but the actual like everyday earn rates being relatively low after the, the changes a few years ago. The thing about that is that if your sign-up bonus is, is big at the start, but your everyday earn rates are low, then doesn't that kind of just encourage people to get the card, hit the sign-up bonus and then put it in the sock drawer, right? So here, they've, they've kind of like done it the other way around in that maybe the sign-up bonuses aren't, aren't huge, but they encourage everyday use. So they, they kind of, you know, capture your long-term value in that sense. Interesting difference in strategy. Yeah, yeah two quite different approaches. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about the changes to the Chris Flyer program that came in this week. First of all, there was some increases pretty much across the board to the cost of an award flight or an upgrade. Uh, can you give an overview of what's changed? Sure. So uh, as, as you probably already know, the changes came into place on 5th of July. So we are now living in the brave new post-evaluation world. Uh, I have to say, like, okay, let's, let's be clear. No one likes devaluations. But compared to what I've seen in some other programs, uh, this is relatively mild, right? The average increase uh, for Saver Awards was between 8 to 16%, right? So obviously, the premium cabin is a bit harder hit. So uh, if you look at first and business class, the increases are between 10 to 15 percent, 10 to 13 percent. Uh, economy is anywhere between 8 to 16 percent. But we need to remember that this is the first time in more than five years that Singapore Airlines has increased the cost of redemption awards in economy because the previous uh, devaluation uh, that took place, I think it was 20, no, 2019, I think. I believe that's correct. Uh, did not touch, yeah, did, didn't touch economy class awards. So so some of these awards have not been changed for quite a long time. Um, so, so yeah, so the average increase for Saver was about 8 to 16%. Uh, they also increased the price of Advantage Awards. So for those who don't know, Advantage Awards is like Singapore Airlines version of a more expensive but with more availability kind of award seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that only changed in a handful of zones. Uh, Australia, by the way, wasn't touched. The Australia Advantage Awards remain exactly the same price. It's mostly to uh, Middle East, Europe, USA, Canada uh, that got changed for Advantage. And those price increases are about around the 15% mark as well. 
Uh, Star Alliance Awards did change. So um, Star Alliance partners, if you want to use your Chris Lyamals to book with Lufthansa or Austrian or, 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 or any of the other Star Alliance partners, uh, that's also come up. Uh, again, it's between 8 to 16%, so very much in line with what we saw for Singapore Airlines. And uh, finally, this just happened yesterday. The increase in price for Round the World Awards has also happened. And that was roughly about 11, 11 to 15%. So it seems that they had this fixed number in, in their heads of how much they wanted to adjust the value of the program by. And it's most categories have been adjusted around that amount. So I wouldn't say that the program's been nuked or like there's been some drastic redeem everything now and leave quit kind of kind of scenario going on here. Um, it is it is kind of unfortunate as well because I personally, if you asked me one year ago, I wouldn't have thought we'd seen a devaluation happen so soon because uh, let's let's be honest, no one saw the recovery in air travel being so rapid. Even IATA was taken off guard, right? They were saying, oh, take three years, four years for, for demand to return to pre, pre-COVID levels. And now they're saying, hey, you know, it's probably going to be half, half that time. So I think everyone, and if you see the chaos happening in Europe right now, that, that's, that's a prime example. Everyone got caught off guard by how fast travel came back. And that put pressure then on the amount of capacity that Singapore Airlines had and probably what led to the devaluation sooner than I expected. Yeah, no, thanks for that. It's a really good summary. And just like for anyone who hasn't been following closely, for just for example, a Singapore Airlines Business Class Saver Award from Sydney or Melbourne to Singapore has increased from 62,000 Chris Fly miles to 68,500 miles. And then, for example, around the world award in economy has gone from 180,000 to 200,000 miles. So um, obviously it's an increase, which is not great, but they're not completely drastic. Um what about partner awards, for example, redeeming Chris Fly Miles to fly on Virgin Australia? Has there been any changes with those? So this is the interesting thing. Um, they have said that changes are coming, uh, but they, up to today, I'm just checking the site, they ha- they've not published anything yet. So I think they're doing this in kind of two stages. In fact, it's kind of similar to the last evaluation we saw in, in 2019. Exactly yeah. the same thing. They, they, they did the Singapore Airlines Awards first and a few months later, Star Alliance. What seems to have happened this time is that they've done Singapore Airlines and Star Alliance. And I would assume at some point down the road, they will then look at the non-Star Alliance partner charts. So you mentioned Virgin Australia, but also like Alaska Air, uh, Virgin Atlantic, Vistara. Uh, as of today, still unchanged, but I wouldn't um, expect that to remain the same for long. Okay. And the next part of these um, these changes to the Chris Flyer program is the changes to stopover rules. So what's happening mm. there on, with stopovers on awards? <laughs> so, okay, just for, 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 for brief context, maybe for, for those who, who are not aware, uh, one of the best features of Chris Flyer, if you were based in Singapore, was the ability to add uh, a stopover to your award. Um, and it would take, and what people would do is that they would say, they would, they would book a ticket, let's say Sydney to Singapore, and then they'd plan a, a six, seven, eight, up to one year stopover in Singapore and have the second leg as, say, Singapore to London. And the thing is that the price of a Sydney-Singapore-London award booked individually is less than the cost of a Sydney to Singapore plus Singapore to London award. Yeah. And all you have to pay is $100, is a $100 US stopover fee, which is why people started calling it the $100 stopover trick. So 
I would imagine that the stopover when it was initially conceptualized was to give tourists an opportunity to see Singapore for like 48 hours or something and then continue on their journey. But people were cleverly using this as a way to book two vacations on one ticket. It's clever. And save. Yeah, yeah, it's very good because you'd probably say between 20 to 25 percent of the miles required. Uh, which which really does does add up, especially if you're traveling as a family or if you're booking premium cabin tickets. So that was only possible because your stopover could be up to one year, right? So someone who had just finished his Sydney vacation, come back to Singapore, do work for six, seven, eight months, and then fly off to his next vacation. So what Singapore Airlines has done now is saying that from 1st of August 2022, uh, your stopover is capped at 30 days. Right, which means unless you're someone who is able to travel twice in quick succession, uh, that's not really an option for you anymore. Uh, but more than that, they have also said that you can't add a paid stopover to an award ticket. And why this matters is because uh, the cheapest saver awards, the one-way saver awards that people would use to book like Sydney to Singapore to London, uh, those don't come with any stopovers. That's why you have to pay 100 USD to add on a stopover. And what's happening now is that you only have the complimentary stopovers, uh, which come with certain tickets, like one-way advantage tickets, for example, which are a lot more expensive. So long story short, they basically nerfed the sweet spot for doing that stopover trick. And now any kind of stopover that you book well, has to come with a ticket, and number two can't be more than 30 days, uh, which, which really kills off the, the value proposition of the stopover trick very sadly. Yeah, I mean, the limit of 30 days is probably not such a bad thing for Australians because, as you say, like Australians stopping over in Singapore, probably 48 hours or 72 hours is enough anyway because it is just a way to break up the trip on the way to somewhere else. But the changes to not being able to add an extra stopover for 100 US dollars, I think is not great. So I guess if I was someone based in, in Australia, the, the, the silver line here is that if you're booking like a round trip saver award, you still get one complimentary stopover. Yeah, so someone flying Sydney to Singapore, to, I, I give you an example of, of London, right? Sydney, Singapore, London, and, and back, they would have the option of either on the outbound leg or the return leg doing a stopover in Singapore of up to 30 days. That still exists, and that's probably what the stopover feature was, init- was originally conceptualized for. So I guess it still maintains that value in that sense. I've seen some really interesting itineraries in the past using actually the Star Alliance Award, so not not for travel on Singapore Airlines, but for example, like people would book something like Perth to Johannesburg, stop over there, and then Johannesburg to Cairo, stop over, Cairo to um, Casablanca, use that as the destination, then come back via Istanbul, stopping over in Istanbul, then Singapore, Sydney. Um, And that used to be available for 145,000 miles in business class. It's a little bit more now with the changes to the rates, but uh, that kind of thing is just not possible anymore. Yeah, life used to be so much more fun. <laughs> That's right. Now, interestingly, when after the changes were announced, and I don't know if it's because the changes are announced, like whether it's a conspiracy or whether it's just happened to be the case, but um, Saver Awards, a lot of Australian frequent flyer member no- members noticed that Saver Awards between Sydney and Singapore and also Melbourne and Singapore um, were no longer available to book. After mm. the price increase, they do seem to be um, back available now. <laughs> Yeah, so here's here's where we go into the realm of speculation. Uh, I I I've seen I've seen those reports. I agree, it's very suspicious. The problem is that there's really no way of proving it. What yeah. could have theoretically happened is that when the devaluation was announced, everyone suddenly 
went crazy, went on a booking spree, all the award seats disappeared. Singapore to Australia is a very popular route, as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm. Um, however, that would not explain why they've all suddenly become available now. So I guess we have to file that under the draw your own conclusions bucket. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just Singapore to Australia. I think people were reporting the same things on some of the other popular routes, like yeah. to London, for example, or to uh, Los Angeles. Absolutely zero award space available. Even to waitlist. Yeah, or, or at the very most waitlist. So yeah, now now it's it's. I think it's kind of come. I wouldn't say it's 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 abundant on 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 those routes, but I can definitely spot stuff that I probably couldn't spot one week ago. So <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things. Yeah, that's right. I I read your article on Tuesday, um, on the day the day after the value devaluation came into effect about round the world awards and the so the price increase on the Star Alliance uh, round the world awards. And I found that really interesting mm. because you made a comment that um, in your opinion these awards are mostly academic since they're so hard to book and actually book in a way that you get the most value out of it. I'm interested uh, why why you think that. So the Star Alliance Round the World Award, right? It, it it sounds like a great idea. I mean, I got excited when I first learned about it, right? Yeah. You're able to travel to, I think, seven different cities. Uh, back in, back before the devaluation was 240,000 miles. Now it's 280,000 miles. You can travel That's to seven different class. cities. You see, see all these different places. Yeah, in, in business class. You can see all, all these different places. It just sounds like amazing value. Uh, but when I tried to put together an itinerary, I realized that the rules are very restrictive um, to the point that it just became such such a nightmare. So I'll give you some, some examples, right? Um, for a Chris Flyer Star Alliance Round the World Award, seven stopovers, uh, maximum one stopover in a given city, uh, two stopovers in any given country. You can only take advantage of Chris Flyer Saver space. So if you see there's advantage space available on a route, we can't add that to your round-the-world itinerary, only saver space. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to cross both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. You must start and end in the same country, uh, 16 flight segments. So it's it's there's a lot of rules, right? And here's the thing. Because a round-the-world ticket is a fixed price under the Chris Flyer system, the incentive for you is obviously to make it as complicated as possible to maximize your value, right? Obviously, yeah. someone flying A to B to C to A doesn't get as much value as A to B to C to D to et cetera, et cetera, back to A. So, but the more complex you make your itinerary, the more likely it is that you run afoul of one of these rules. And uh, beyond that, there was also the issue that Singapore Airlines has a policy that partially used tickets cannot be changed at all. So what does that mean, right? If you have a partially used ticket, for a round-the-world ticket, let's say it's uh, it's six different legs. Once you fly the first leg, by right, you cannot change any of the other legs. So if your plans change or if something happens, you want to fly out early or you want to fly out later, too bad. Everything is already locked in. I don't know how strictly they apply that rule because I have never actually booked one of these tickets before. But a simple reading of that clause means that you have to be 100% sure of all of your plans which, you know, as your itinerary gets more and more complicated, there's more potential for things to potentially go, go wrong. And it was just the whole idea that you need to have everything lined up before you can make your booking. And you know how fickle a ward space can be. You, you see it now and half an hour later, it's gone. So you, you could spend like hours and hours planning your perfect itinerary. And when you pick up the phone, by the time someone answers, one of the legs could have disappeared and you're, you're back to the square one. I just thought for the amount of aggravation involved, there were other better ways of doing round the world. So um, I, I've been studying the Asia Mouse multi-carrier award chart. 
And I think that in terms of flexibility, in terms of pricing, that's probably superior to the Chris Fly Around the World Award, which is why I say the Chris Fly Around the World Award sounds nice in theory. Uh, I do know a few people who have booked it successfully, good for them. But I think given the amount of time and energy you need to spend to do that, probably not worth investing in. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I do know some people who have also booked these. And um, in fact, I know someone who booked one very recently and he was successful. He did manage to get quite a good itinerary in the end, but he said that uh, trying to get this ticketed through the Singapore Airlines call center was an absolute nightmare and it really did yeah, take so a lot of effort. Yeah, high, high pain tolerance. So he's just into that sort of thing, you know, it's just <laughs> hard to do it. I guess you could say that. Um do you have any thoughts generally on the Singapore Airlines call center these days? I mean, before the pandemic, generally I found the service was very good, but it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So what I'm finding now, and I'm sure people, uh, Qantas frequent flyers will be very sympathetic to this, is I just Absolutely. find it incredible that two years after the pandemic began, you're still getting multi-hour wait times, which are very, very common. So whether you're doing online chat, whether you're calling them up, uh, if if you have anything less than an hour's wait time, I would say you're extremely lucky, right? The fact is that they're just completely swamped uh, by calls. People want to change their flights, want to do this, want to do that. And it is, it's gotten to the point that it's it's almost unacceptable because, you know, you, you've had two, you, everyone knows that there's a pandemic going on. You, you've had two years to adjust. I'd be very sympathetic in the first three, six months. I mean, that was completely unprecedented. But two years later, I would really expect that, that they'd, get that together because multi-hour wait times are just completely unacceptable. Um, it's it's even, well, so if, if you're a member of the Singapore Airlines PPS Club or a Solitaire PPS Club member, there is a way for you to skip the, the wait on the phone by by sending a, a text to a specific number and then they, they call you back. Uh, that one's, it, it saves you the time of waiting on the phone, but it's still easily multi-hour waits as well. So it doesn't matter whether you're like a regular member or whether you're one of the top tier elites, you're still waiting a few hours to talk to someone. And that's two years later, it's just baffling to me, really. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed is that like the expertise and the skill of the call center operators is, is also not what it used to be. You used to be able to get through to someone in Singapore who had, was very knowledgeable and, and usually helpful um, and also very quickly. But it seems now that um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, like Singapore Airlines seems to have closed its main call center in Singapore and it's now using two, two call centers in the Philippines and mm. one in India instead. Yeah, and the expertise level is is is, is not the same. I mean, it, it 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 does come out quite a bit in conversations that I have with with people. Stuff that should really be very basic five five minute changes is now taking up up to half an hour because they're not as familiar with, with the system. I, I guess I just caught my lucky stars. I did read a couple of horror stories over on I think it was AFF about people who who called up for Qantas awards and mm. you know they wanted to change dates and suddenly the awards disappeared. Right. So that's a, that's a different level of incompetency, which I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to deal with here. But yeah, yeah I'd say it's, it's, it's bad all around, really. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously what's going on with the Singapore Airlines call center is not great, but when the when your point of comparison is the Qantas call center, it, it, it makes everything seem okay. <laughs> you look amazing, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, we, we didn't talk yet about upgrades. Uh, Chrisflyer mm-hmm. did increase the cost of upgrading a ticket using Chrisflyer miles with the latest mm-hmm. changes, but do you think that it ever does actually make sense to upgrade, or is it better just to book an outright award ticket? Sure. Yeah, I didn't really talk about upgrades because for me, I find them a bit academic as well. So upgrade awards increased by about 5%, which was quite modest, I have to say. Um, But the thing about upgrades on Singapore Airlines in particular 
is that Singapore Airlines only allows you to upgrade if you buy the most expensive or the second most expensive kind of, of fare classes. Um, so for economy, that would be the economy flexi and the economy standard. If, if you buy the cheaper economy light, economy value, you're not able to upgrade. Uh, and the thing is that when you look at the award chart, you see the number of miles required for an upgrade versus the number of miles required to redeem an outright award. It's typically about 70, sometimes as high as 80%. So think about it, right? You're buying already a very expensive cash ticket because you can't buy the cheaper ones. And then you need, still need to shell out 70 to 80% of the miles required for a full award. I mean, that math just doesn't really work, make sense to me. And it'd be one thing if buying a, a expensive cash ticket like guaranteed that you could upgrade to a higher cabin with your miles. But that's not the case as well because as far as I'm aware, Singapore Airlines uses the same bucket of award space for upgrades as it does for, for full awards. So you could very well be buying an expensive economy class ticket because you want to upgrade, but find out that, hey, you know, there's there's no seats available. So I've really bought this more expensive fare for not much purpose, right? And that for me is why I, I only in very, very limited circumstances, like, hey, you know, maybe your employer's paying for the ticket. Then yeah, sure, fine. I mean, that's that's good to you, right? Uh, use your miles and upgrade if, if, if you can. But if I were flying on my own dime, uh, I would not count on buying a, a ticket and then upgrading with with miles um, simply because, number one, it's poor value. And number two, the space is it's not guaranteed. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And so, like, sometimes also when people are looking for a Chris Flyer award ticket, it, there might not be any, of like, availability, like, confirmed availability on the flight that they want, but there might be a waitlist seat available. So mm. I'm interested in your thoughts on, like, firstly, how does waitlisting work and do you think it's a good idea? <laughs> If if I if I knew how the waitlist worked and I knew how to make it work to my advantage, I think I'd be a very very wealthy man. <laughs> uh, the the waitlist is it's it's a strange beast, right? It is it is very opaque. Um, some people swear there are certain tips and tricks you can do to make yourself clear it faster. I am very skeptical about that. You know what's so interesting is that uh, before the pandemic, like two two three years ago, I was um, I, I through 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 my contacts I. I found someone who used to work in, in the Chris Lyer Awards team, right? And I wanted to interview him to find out, you know, how exactly do things like the waitlist and all work. And he was like very, very happy to talk. And, you know, just like one day before I was supposed to talk, he messaged me and said, sorry, can't talk anymore. And then he started ghosting me. So <laughs> there's some mafia level stuff going on with this waitlist stuff. Uh, that is probably well, well beyond my, my, my wow. comprehension of pay grade for that matter. Wow. So what, what we do know, about the waitlist, right? Is that uh, waitlist is Singapore Airlines' way of saying, well, no seat yet, but if you put your name down, we'll call you when the table is ready, kind of stuff, right? Um, in theory, the waitlist is prioritized based on your status with Singapore Airlines. So all things equal, someone who say Chris Lyad Gold status would be higher priority than someone who's just an entry-level member. Uh, we do know that Singapore Airlines now has a policy that they will either clear or cancel your waitlist within two weeks of departure. Uh, which, frankly speaking, um, it's still better than the old system where you could be waitlisting up to the point the flight leaves. But two weeks, man, if, if it's two weeks out and you still haven't bought your tickets, you're probably in quite a bit of trouble. So that doesn't really help all that much. Um, we also know that there is no publicly ranked information on your position on the waitlist. So you know how sometimes when you go to uh, US airports, right, and you can see oh, at yeah. the departure gate, they have this list of people and their order of upgrades. No such thing exists for Singapore Airlines. 
So it's really a black box, right? You have some idea of your priority. Obviously, if, if you're a PPSL member, you'd feel better about your chances than if you're like the nobody. Uh, but beyond that, there really isn't a lot that we know. So a wait list is kind of like you add your name and then you you, you pray to whichever God you believe in that that things will will, will work out. And that's, yeah, some, some people say it's better to have a wait list than no wait list because at least that gives you a chance, right? Uh, versus a no wait list where there's no chance at all. But I, I say it's like the, the hope that kills you, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. So, so how does it actually work? Like, do you need to have enough uh, Chris Flyer miles in your account to be able to waitlist for a flyer? Right. And what, what happens if it clears? Okay. So, yes, you you do need. Uh, so, let's say I want to fly from Singapore to uh, Australia. How, how how much is the award now? I think you were mentioning uh, sixty eight thousand five hundred miles for business class one way. Yeah. So, if, if business class is on waitlist from Singapore to like Sydney, then I need to have at least sixty eight thousand five hundred miles to add my name to the waitlist. However. That does not place a hold on those miles. So, if I have a hundred thousand miles in my account, right, and I waitlist myself Singapore to Sydney, that's sixty-eight thousand five. I can then waitlist myself on Singapore to Melbourne, even though sixty-eight point five times two is more than a hundred, right? So it doesn't matter as long as I have enough miles to ticket the award that I'm waitlisting for. It doesn't matter how many waitlists I'm on, right? So many people do, in fact spam the wait list, right? They'll do it at different dates, uh, yeah. different permutations, stuff, stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I frankly feel that a good way to improve the wait list would be to limit the number of wait list awards that someone can be on at any one point. Because right now the system, the way it's set up, basically encourages you to spam the wait list because there's no cost to you, right? And that, that's the thing that doesn't benefit us as a whole, right? So, yeah. Um, and if the waitlist does clear, uh, you receive a, a, an, an email alert saying that you're able to ticket it now. And then you just go on the website and make the booking as per normal. And at that point, the miles are deducted. So no miles deducted until the waitlist clears. And I guess maybe for those people who had waitlisted themselves before the devaluation, uh, I have some bad news that the waitlist is immaterial in the sense that you would still pay the new prices. For Chris Flyer, even if you waitlisted yourself before the devaluation. So yeah. waitlisting doesn't lock in anything at all. Waitlisting is just an expression of interest. And at the time, the waitlist, if, if it does clear, uh, you, you pay whatever the prevailing price is at, at, at that point in time. Uh, okay. And if, if it clears, do you have to make the booking on that flight or can you just ignore no. it? There is no, there's no obligation at all. I think you're typically given 48 to 72 hours to confirm it. Uh, but there is no obligation to take it up, no. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, Chris Flyer miles normally expire after three years, and currently yeah. the um, expirations are, are not happening. The, so Chris Flyer is extending any miles that are due to expire up until the end of this year by six months at a time. But do you know what's going to happen next year? Like, have you heard anything about any further extensions? I would be very surprised if they offered a further extension. Quite frankly, I was already surprised that they offered the most recent extension, which is the one that um, made it such that no miles expire in 2022. Uh, because at that point in time, uh, Singapore, well, the borders hadn't fully opened, but we already had our vaccinated travel lane scheme, which meant that people were able to travel overseas uh, in, in certain circumstances. Uh, I can say this, though. I am almost certain, I don't know, I never want to say I'm very certain after the Christmas devaluation. I, I, am, I am almost certain that we will not see any more extensions because the current extension takes it all the way to 31st Jan 2023. So no Chris Lyer miles will expire until at least 31st Jan 2023. Right. And, and after that, the regular three year expiry policy comes back into play. 
Uh, I think what's a bit unfortunate about Singapore Airlines is that unlike, say, Asian Miles, they haven't moved into an activity-based expiry scheme. So Chris Flyer Miles still have a hard expiry of uh, three years. It doesn't matter whether you use your account every day or you use it once a year. It's still the same expiry for everyone. Unless, of course, you're a PPS or a solitaire PPS club member, in which case your miles don't expire. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see further extensions. I would advise people who still have a good-sized chunk of miles, which expire early next year, now might not be the worst time to start planning stuff, like uh, at least locking it in. Because remember, even if your miles expire, say, on 1st of Jan 2023, I can still use the miles to book a ticket up to one year in advance. Right. So in theory, if my miles expire on 1st of Jan, uh, sorry, on, on, on 30th of, on, on 31st of Jan 2023, because they expire at the end of the month, I can use the miles to book the ticket up to one year in advance. So it could fly as late as 2024. Yeah, so there, there, there should be plenty of wriggle room there for, for most people. Okay. If there's someone listening who maybe has, I don't know, 5 million or 10 million Chris Fire miles in their account or something like this, and they're going to expire next year, do you think it would be worth for them maybe to, like, try and become a PPS club member? It's an expensive exercise, I can yeah. tell you So how much. does how does PPS club work, just for anyone who's not familiar? You have to spend at least $25,000 in the membership year on Singapore Airlines first and business class tickets. Now, obviously, if you're someone who travels for work and your employer is good enough to pay for first or business class, then right. that's not an issue. Right. But otherwise, if you're paying on your own dime, $25,000 in first and business class is no small amount of money. And the, the thing about PPS Club is you can fly a million miles in economy class and never get anywhere close because it is exclusively for first and business class tickets. Not even premium economy would, would qualify you for, for the PPS Club. So if you could earn PPS Club by virtue of your employer's generosity, then yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, if, if your employer gives you the, the choice of which airline you want to fly and you think you want to earn PPS status, by all means do that. But Talking as someone who has to pay for their own flights, would I earn PPS club status just for the sake of non-expiring miles? No, I absolutely not. You said 5 million miles, which is a, a healthy size balance. I would look for a way to burn all those rather than spend 25,000 miles just to earn myself evergreen miles because evergreen miles are still subject to devaluations. I mean, PPS club members' miles get devalued just like anyone else's. So they, they really, you, you shouldn't really be going out of your way to, to make your miles last forever because miles aren't meant to last forever they, they, they have to be burned right miles have no value until you actually redeem them yeah yeah and given the average cadence of a crystal devaluation um when i first started doing this hobby back in in, in the mid 2010s uh the average cadence of a crystal devaluation was maybe every four years four to five years but in more recent times we're seeing two to three years which i suppose is kind of in line with the massive increase in number of miles being minted by cards and all sorts of promotions mm. it's a lot more inflationary pressure so I think two to three years is the new cadence for the evaluations and that three years is the maximum limit for a Chris Flyer miles. So you, you really shouldn't be planning to hold on to your miles for longer than, than, than three years anyway. So I guess if you've got a whole lot of miles that you need to spend in the next little while, maybe it's a good idea to find five uh, redemption nominees like family members or friends and, and uh, start shouting them business class trips around the world. Yeah, it's kind of like the burn baby burn kind of thing. You, know? you, you, you have to use those miles. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm interested, recently Singapore Airlines opened some new lounges at Singapore Changi Airport. Have you visited those new lounges? How are they? I have seen every single new lounge they have. Yeah, so that's, it that's is... That's great. For work purposes, yeah. right? Research purposes. Yeah, this... So, the, 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 the project, I think, was announced in either 2018 or, or 2019. It was, uh, they're going to redo all their lounges in Changi Terminal 3. Uh, and that 
was uh, a significant project that got delayed by COVID, obviously, like everything did. I, I'm sure you must have visited the old Silver Chris lounges before the renovation. Yeah. Um, so if you remember, uh, they were pretty dark. Uh, I remember speci- especially the Chris Flyer Gold Lounge, which uh, Velocity, oh, like Gold and Platinum members flying in economy got sent to. It was not great. Actually, it was no, bad. The Terminal 2 one was the worst. So, so in Singapore, Terminal 2 is still closed. So thankfully, you don't have to see the Terminal 2 lounges for a while. But yeah, that, that was that, it was pretty dire. Let's, let's, let's put it that way, right? So if you were a Chris Flyer uh, Gold member, you have a lounge that doesn't have any toilets, uh, and even if you were flying in first or business class, there, there's no private shower cubicles. The, the whole the whole toilet's like one big locker room, you know. Uh, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't great, right? It was very clearly um, not competitive. So the good news is that Singapore Airlines has addressed a lot of those issues with the new lounges. Uh, the new business and first class lounges all have private uh, shower suites. Uh, they have uh, slumber areas. Right, if you go to the first class lounge, there are actually small—I wouldn't call them hotel rooms because they're not really meant for that purpose—but there are small, enclosed, noise-isolated nap rooms that you can use for two hours at a time. I, I believe it's it's two hours. I can't remember offhand. Uh, and you know, in in terms of the architecture, in terms of the styling and design, especially capacity, they have increased that as well. Um, so uh, the new business class lounge, for example, is. Uh, able to accommodate, jeez, oh, is it thirty percent more people than 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 before? Uh, don't don't quote me on that, but okay. definitely you will see that the, the overcrowding situation uh, compared to before has improved. And I think if if if, if anyone visited uh, the lounges between November and uh, April or May this year, uh, yeah. they would have realized that the situation was pretty bad because at that point in time, Singapore Airlines had opened the new business class lounge but not the new first class or Chris Lyagold or private room. And therefore, everyone was being sent to the business class lounge, uh, regardless of status. And it was just a complete madhouse, right? So if if, if you had gone in the past, uh, during during that period, you, you probably wouldn't understand what I'm talking about because it was just insane, right? That, 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 was, that was madness. Uh, now, thankfully, with all four lounges open, uh, the crowding situation has improved. I wouldn't say it's fantastic. During peak hours, it can still get a bit dicey, but it's it's nothing compared to the situation we were seeing during December and, and, and January, where it was just like no like standing room only uh, kind of chaos in in the lounges. Uh, and, you know, when I look at the new lounges, is it as flashy as what Turkish Airlines has in Istanbul with your car racing track and golf simulator and, you know, stuff like that? No, but that's probably not Singapore Airlines style anyway. I think Singapore Airlines has always been inherently conservative when it comes to lounge design. Uh, it looks nice. It's comfortable. Uh, it doesn't have any of those killer features. Uh, but if you're looking for a good place to work or just a place to sit down and, and relax before a flight, I think it gets a job done in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. And I did visit the Silver Chris Lounge a few months ago. Actually, when they had the crowding issue, I couldn't find a seat for oh, the first yeah, hour or so. But the food was excellent, and they did have Singapore sling cocktails and that kind of thing. It was it was really quite nice uh, once uh, once the bulk of flights to Europe and Australia left, and I could actually get a seat. Yeah, and if you if if you ever do manage to get first class uh, water space out of Singapore to Australia, you know you have to make it a point to visit the uh, private room. Uh, they have redone it. So, uh, did, did you ever visit the old private room? Did no, you I, I haven't. Okay, well, the old private room, well, 
it was a nice experience once, but it, I, I, I just found the place kind of depressing because it was very dark. It was kind of like an old gentleman's club from the, the, the 1980s or like one of those old style New York steak houses where you hang pictures of famous people on the walls and they're playing Sinatra on, 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 on the PA. It, was, it wasn't very, very nice, I felt. The new private room uh, is, I would say, uh, very much improved in terms of its decor. Uh, it has still the same sit-down restaurant, but they have retooled the menu. I wouldn't say the, the menu is like Air France in Paris, kind of that level of dining. I will say it's definitely better than before. So you're able to um, enjoy a nice sit-down made-to-order meal before your flight. Uh, it also has its own small rest uh, rest areas as well. Uh, and, you know, very, very exciting thing. So it, do, do, do try and make it a... a do do try and visit it if, if you're able to and and by the way you're also able i don't think a lot of people know this you're able to visit the private room on arrival as well in singapore as long as you're flying in on singapore airlines first class so you could fly sydney to singapore in first class on singapore airlines and access the private room on arrival as well well that's interesting i didn't know that aaron wong from mile lion thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today no thanks matt it's been great thank you Hope you enjoyed the chat with Aaron about Chris Flyer, which is one of the most popular alternatives to the Qantas Frequent Flyer program for Australians. And despite the devaluation recently, it is still a very good program overall. Now, the other obvious alternative program to Qantas Frequent Flyer for Australians is, of course, Velocity Frequent Flyer, the loyalty program of Virgin Australia. Some Australians seem to overlook Velocity because Virgin lacks the international network that Qantas does. But you can still get quite a lot of value from Velocity Points by redeeming flights not only for flights on Virgin, but also on Virgin Australia's partner airlines like Etihad, United, Air Canada, Hawaiian Airlines, uh, Virgin Atlantic, and also speaking of the devil, Singapore Airlines as well. From the 19th of July, you'll also, as I mentioned earlier, once again, be able to convert your Velocity Points into Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer Miles, which opens even more doors for using Velocity Points, uh, which are relatively easy to earn in Australia. Some Velocity Partner Airline reward seats can be booked on the Virgin Australia website, but others are only available over the phone. And for the airlines that can be booked online, there are much more efficient ways of searching for availability rather than scrolling through the Virgin Australia website where you need to click through day by day. If you'd like to learn more about the art of redeeming Velocity points, you might be interested in an upcoming Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar that I'll be hosting at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday the 20th of July. In this hour-long webinar called Velocity Points, an underrated award travel currency, I'll be talking about how to effectively find and book reward seats, including in premium cabins, of course, on all of Virgin Australia's partner airlines. I'll also explain when it might make sense to transfer Velocity Points to Chris Flyer, how to do it, and how you can then redeem your Chris Flyer miles for flights across the Star Alliance Network and Singapore Airlines' as other partners, such as Alaska Airlines. Like all Frequent Flyer Solutions webinars, you can purchase access to this webinar for $39.95. Alternatively, you can purchase a premium economy, business class, or first class membership from Frequent Flyer Solutions and attend all webinars for the duration of your membership, which works out to be quite a bit cheaper. For more information, please visit frequentflyer.com.au. And that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks very much again to my guest, Aaron Wong, and thank you for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.